There's an uneasiness growing within today's parents. Questions arise around what our kids are being taught, exposed to, and influenced by. Thankfully, a fully engaged, well-informed parent is a powerful thing. And that's why I support Answers in Genesis, and I would recommend you do as well, because it's important to remember that the battle for our kids' minds isn't one in the courts or the classrooms. It's one from the safety and comfort of our own home. So be the difference our kids need and visit www.answers.gift today. How COVID Changed the Church. This is episode 110 of Church and Maine. Hello and welcome to Church and Maine. This is the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. We are a podcast that uh, focuses on uh, religion and public affairs. And I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Hello. Uh, First off, I want to apologize for the long period between um, episodes. Been busy with life as a pastor. Um, As I've said earlier, uh, in the summer, I'd been moving a church and kind of getting things set up in a new location. Um, I did try to uh, make some, uh, see about possibilities with potential guests, but a lot of them were, were busy at this time um, and could uh, probably could do it later. And then other others were busy and had to cancel. Um, and also, I'm uh, going to be on vacation next week. So that's actually going to be another period with no new episodes. So this is August. It's that, it's that type of the time of the year where things kind of are on hold until September. So with that out of the way, I want to start this off by sharing experience that happened to me at the church where I serve. So um, in February of uh uh, 2020, there was a group of us and we were trying to figure out how do we open the church up to the community? That It's been something we had been trying to do. And we came up with an idea. Our, our um, music director just knows a ton of people in the community. Um, and she knows lots of different artists. And so we wanted to maybe have a night of what we were going to th- call music and fellowship. And we would gather for a potluck and then um, maybe listen to various people perform. And so um, a, t- a ton of people actually came. They filled up uh, the church. It, it was a success. I think it was a really great experience. I think I definitely loved it and, and was looking forward to doing this again. That was the hope that we were going to try to do this on a monthly basis. And so we plan to do it uh, the same time next month of March in 2020. Well, we all know what happened in March of 2020. COVID basically shut society down. So we didn't have that event in March. In fact, we never had it ever again. And in fact, we didn't meet in person, um, really in any form for the most part, for 14 months. 
And when we started to worship again in May of 2021, things were incredibly different. There were people who had been part of the community for a long time. They moved on. Others, for whatever reason, for, for a lot of different reasons, some I think very legitimate, ended up watching mostly online. And there were still things we couldn't do. We did not for a long time have refreshments. And even some of the things that we started to do, come back up and do again, well, they became different. COVID changed the church where I served. And what I've learned is that nothing will ever be the same. We can't go back to February of 2020, no matter how hard we try. Of course, that wasn't just my case. Churches large and small, whether they are theologically conservative or liberal, no matter what, have all had to deal with a changed world. Theologian Andy Crouch wrote that COVID in many ways was more like a blizzard or even more succinctly like a mini ice age. And that what he means, but he meant by that was that it was an event that would just basically shatter cultural assumptions. Everything changed. What was mission and ministry going to be like after COVID? What is it like after COVID? And how should the church rise to meet this challenge? And where are we failing? So to answer those questions, I spoke to Sean Chow. Uh, Chow is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA. He is also an associate in that denomination's 1001 New Worshiping Communities movement. He resources and consults with uh, regional denominational bodies and churches and, and, and church plants as they are trying to start new expressions of what it means to be church now. And what he's trying to do with a lot with with these groups is to prepare them, to equip them, uh, to do what God is calling them to do. Uh, he is working with many congregations as they seek to redefine their mission and ministry. And I think that if you're like me, if you're a pastor or if a lay leader that's trying to figure out what to do in your congregation post COVID, then I think you want to hear this interview. So. Now, let's listen to Sean Chow. Well, thanks a lot, um, Sean, for taking the time to in, uh, chat with me a little bit about the church after COVID. No problem. It's great to be here. So I think maybe the, the best way to kind of set this up is to, is to kind of think about what the church was like before or maybe right up to um, when the um, pandemic happened. Um you know, I think we all have our image of how things were going. And I know sometimes in my own mind, how things were going were this kind of wonderful little thing. And the reality was it wasn't. Um, there were kind of issues that were there. But, um, you know, we kind of have this, I think, kind of perfect past 
um, as opposed to the present that we're finding ourselves in. So I guess the first question is, how would you describe the church before COVID? Um, And what were some signs that there were issues that were going to be revealed um, during the pandemic? I think kind of as you, as we kind of look back, even before COVID is that the church, as you kind of said, the church was in denial that, Hey, they, everyone was thinking that, Hey, you know what? The youth are gone. That's fine. And believing that, Hey, when the, when they get married or whatever it is that they will come back, that whole idea of that, as soon as they get married and they go, Oh, we want to have, we, we want to have our kids back in church again, that they come back to the church. And that really wasn't the case that we kept thinking that this is circular and it's not is and dealing with a lot of different things that we that we have. But what was interesting about even going through COVID is that is that crisis accelerates the changes that were already happening. So the changes that we are we've experienced in the last three, three and a half years were already happening in the church, the kind of dividing of of where where people are and that in that feeling that church was kind of a relic of a time gone by while many mm-hmm. of us held on to that, that sooner or later it'll come back to the way it was in the 1950s and 1960s. And suddenly everyone is, is going to kind of come back to the way it was. And that kind of changes were happening, whether we were, we were really wanting them or really identifying them because yeah, we just accelerate the change has really kind of accelerated over these last few years into who we've become. And it, it's, it's vastly interesting of what, what has happened. What do you think that we were in such denial for so long? What, what were the things that kind of made it easy for us to not think that things were changing? I think what what a lot of churches hold on to is that where they don't have to change is that church. So I come from, I'm from the Presbyterian church. I'm on national staff of the Presbyterian church and there's endowments in churches where mm-hmm. they, where they've been saved and put money aside. So they have, so they can live basically however they want to live and have the funds to continue on with a full-time pastor or a part-time pastor. And they hadn't come to the realization to the point where, Hey, this church might not be here for my children or even my grandchildren. And so a lot of my different conversations that I have with, with people is saying, we are starting to see the end of this church. This church of where we are is com- might be coming in. We're running out of funds. And now we have to make some of the drastic changes. And we're like, and they're thinking, but we're not equipped to do this anymore. If we were 10 years younger or 20 years younger, when you were in that comfortability spot, some of these changes could have could have been you could, you could have been better equipped to make some of these changes. And a lot of it is that they're comfortable. And now the question becomes, what is the legacy of say first Presbyterian church? Now that most of the congregation is older and the neighborhood in which they ministered for, for so many generations, it does not resemble them anymore. It is vastly different as now people travel into their church rather than being in the community that their church is. And so there's so many different things that are going on in the church prior to even to the pandemic of saying, we don't want to change because changing would say, hey, we need to change the way we do things. And that would make me uncomfortable. And then I'm going to get up and I'm going to go find a church where I feel comfortable. And that might be the church that has the hymns, they might have the organ or whatnot, 
where I feel comfortable instead of saying, no, this is where God's called us to. And we may need to make some of these, these, some of these drastic moves in order to, in order to invite and be welcoming to younger generations or people that are, that are in the neighborhood. An interesting kind of story is that my wife grew up assemblies of God. And Mm -hmm. so her, her, her dad was like, a, was like a lay pastor and so forth. And so her family grew up in this church. They they sung hymns. They had an electric organ and all this stuff. And then sooner, and as her generation got older and her parents were like, her parents' generation was like, something needs to be done to keep our kids in this church. And so they made the drastic realization that, that they needed to, the church needed to change in a way that would be welcoming to her, my wife's generation and this younger generation of the young families, and they couldn't continue the way they had done before, but they were willing to say, we want to hand this church off to you, knowing that it isn't our church. We are just caretakers of this church, and we want to hand it off to you and saying, this church is a legacy, and it's not just to make me feel comfortable, but it's for all of us. And as my mother-in-law talks about sometimes, she's all, so sometimes it was, it was the light show. As we've all went through those generations where where there's there's flashing lights during worship and so forth, but they realized that that in order to that they couldn't keep doing what they had been doing to keep the younger generations, but in, they were to entrust they were entrusted with the church. Then they needed to come to a point where they passed it off, and you so you see this legacy kind of going on, and not many churches are willing to make that move. As they get older, they want to stay the way they've done worship all the different all the the whole time, and not realizing that church for the younger generations or even my kids needs to be different than the way I do it. And when are we willing to hand off the church to them, in order that they may take the lead and they might feel that this is their church, where it's a multi generational church as opposed to just caretake being about one generation. Yeah, I think one of the things that I remember very succinctly from um, the pandemic and then later on, especially um, as our the congregation that I lead was were making some changes, was how much people, some people didn't like to change. And when they kind of described what is it that they wanted really from the church, um, it was fascinating that the answer was comfort. And um, yeah. I, it was fascinating to me to hear that because it was, and, and kind of hearing what you're saying is, it just kind of seems like a lot of it was um, the church or the people as consumers that I don't yes. like what I'm, I'm having, finding out at this church. So I'll go to something that satisfies my needs as opposed to um, kind of sticking it out and being kind of more of a servant and willing to kind of deal with the change, um, knowing that this is something different. Um, and I've, I don't know, I, it sounds like something that you're kind of picking up there. Yeah. It's, I think that's where a lot of us are right now is, is that this world especially the United church in the United States is very consumer centric that yes. it's all about me. What can I take? What, what does this church have to fill my needs? And then I will take, and I will take, and I will take. And then one day you might go, Oh, this church doesn't fill my needs anymore. 
I'm going to go to the next church down the street and they consume all their needs, all, Although, all, yeah. not all their needs, but all of what they have until it's like, oh, it's all about me being fed is what the mentality of, of those people about people in church is. What can I get out of it as opposed to mm-hmm. a little bit more of like, how do I serve? How do I learn? How do I grow as a deeper disciple? But how do I also really enable myself to become a deeper disciple of Christ? And as, as my pastor kind of talked about, I was, he was giving a sermon like a few months ago and I was like, I was like, this was deep and profound. He's like, he's like, you know what? I like tacos. He's like, I can eat tacos. And even when I shouldn't, he's like, is we're like a church that we're just, we just like to eat the tacos. He's like, but there comes a time where I just need to walk the tacos off. I just can't sit there and eat the tacos, but I need to walk them off. And that, in that essence, it's saying, Hey, I need to go out there and live what I've eaten and live and work off what I've eaten saying that we have enough. You and I have probably been to church so long. And I think a lot of us do. And we always think that we don't do enough or we don't know enough to do anything with it, but maybe mm-hmm. we need, we need, as we're growing, it's like, Oh, we need to do something with what we're learning. We don't just shouldn't sit in Bible studies, prayer meetings, listen to the next great sermon, but we need to live out what we do. And I think that's the big problem of the church is that we're so we, in the American culture also is that we're so consumer focused. How can this church serve me? What can I get out of it? As opposed to, Oh, I'm getting a little from the church, but I also need to walk with that church into living out what the gospel says. And I think that's sometimes like people are like, oh, you need that? I'll get right to check for 10 bucks. As opposed to saying, how do we see the people around us? How do we see the people that are that are in the community and how can we serve them? And I think oftentimes we just pass by the people on, that are on the on, living under the bridge or in Los Angeles, there's just encampments of homeless people, or even it might not be those huge issues, but how can I walk with people through addiction or those that are mm-hmm. going, that are grieving, or how do we see the issues that are going around, around us? Every church has a multitude of them, let alone surrounded by a community that's deeply affected by different things. Instead of saying, I, I'm not worried about you, who's who's a stranger or naked or math, the whole Matthew 25 thing but I need to I need to know Jesus more that's more important that I know Jesus and I know the I know the gospel that we become so focused on that we don't see the those that are hungry the stranger the naked and it goes on and on that we don't live out the gospel we're just simply saying we want to consume it and I think that's mm. where we have the problem of the church today is that it's it's comfortable to just sit in a bible study it's uncomfortable walking up to the homeless or the stranger or those that are, that don't have a voice or in pain or whatever. And, and to put ourselves in those places. So would you say this basically comes down to an issue of discipleship? It does. I th- and I think, and I think churches and I'm, I, I want to say I'm one of them too, is are bad at discipling people that, that, you know what I like, being a part of a small group is something that I've always loved, but to walk with people through the ups and downs of life. But as a pastor, oftentimes, how am I going to do that same thing with 200 people? How do mm-hmm. I help people walk through that? Those, those people are like, I'm too busy for a small group or a discipleship group or, or, or whatnot. But how do we need to, as a church need to come up with a way, how do we walk with our people so that they're getting deeper into Christ, not only consuming, 
but how do we live it out in our in the way we we do we do how do we see this naked those that are naked those are the stranger those are hungry and so forth but how do we live it out so kind of looking at the kind of what we would say we're in the before how do you think that churches handled themselves during um and i know that you know covid is still somewhat with us but kind of in, especially in the thick of it, maybe that first year, year and a half. Um, I know that there is a, a article that came out maybe about a year, around the time of the pandemic that talked about kind of entering into a blizzard, which yep. then could become a mini ice age. How do you think churches handled that? Did they Were they even prepared for the blizzard or did they... Um, and and then later the Ice Age, or did they just kind of not do well? Or are there examples of churches that really did kind of step up? So Andy Crouch and Dan Blanchard wrote that book, not that mm-hmm. book, that article on the Ice Age. I was like, this is a phenomenal thing. And it's really like, <laughs> it is. I talk about it an awful lot as they talk about that we all thought this whole pandemic thing was a blizzard. Like, hey, we're a shelter in place for two weeks. And then everything will be perfectly fine as, as in all blizzards, the roads will be kind of cleared and so forth. But in actuality, what we experienced was an ice age, a drastic reshape in the landscape. And what was amazing about that article, they wrote it like a month into the pandemic. Yeah. And I'm like, how do they, how prophetic is that, that you've, that you're talking about things like two years down the road. I'm like, those, those dudes are like geniuses and prophetic. <laughs> and I was like, man, I wish I would wrote, be able to think like that, but but churches like were in the pandemic were saying, when can we get back together? When can we have choir? Like a few weeks into the pandemic, the shelter in place in California here, we had a two week shelter in place and they said, everything will be perfectly fine. So everyone's like, okay, we can have choir again. Let's, let's, let's open up. Let's have choir. We're like, no, hold on. This thing is really going on. And they're like, we want to go back to the way it was. And, they're like, we're missing church. This is, this is the center of who I am. I'm like, and then we've really had, and during it, we had to figure out what was essential for our church and mm-hmm. our churches. No longer were, were the men's fellowship the, were that drastically important, but a lot of churches had to figure out who and what they were. So like the church that I go to discovered that, that community, they needed to figure out how to get together and how to, how to get together in the midst of this pandemic because some people couldn't do Zoom and some people couldn't do this or that, but they understood that they needed to get together. So they began to meet in a park across the street from where they used to be. They met in a park, really spaced out. And the other thing that they figured out was that, that, the, that the sacraments were important to them. It was important for them to get together and have and break bread together, to, to go through the Lord's Supper together, do communion together. So you ha- had to figure that out. It's like, okay, we're putting a little crackers and we're throwing it to you, or however, however they figured it out how to do it. But they needed to figure out and find out what is essential. And mm-hmm. I think that is the best thing that, to describe what we as a church has had to do is all that fluff things, all those things that you as a pastor and I as a pastor inherited from generations of doing different things that like you just kept at, they kept adding different things to the church and become before it came this huge thing where it was like, where did we inherit all these programs and these different traditions when it, no, the person that created it was like a hundred years ago. And you're like, 
what? <laughs> but we still do it. And so, and so you know, bringing everything down to the essentials is what was, what is, what has been great about this is the church has mm-hmm. been able to be whittled down to the essential saying, this is who and what we are as a community. And it's like, for one, it's like, okay, we need to be together. We need to worship together and sing and pray alongside one another in a safe way, of course. And the other one was communion. Each of us had to figure out all these different things in different ways. Some people stopped doing worship altogether and said, we are just going to come to, we are like, I have a friend, a colleague that she was a pastor of a church in Kentucky. And she's like, I got on the phone. They didn't, couldn't do Zoom. We did a a conference call with everybody and we simply, I preached and we prayed with one another. That was their essentials. Everything else was, was gone and Mm -hmm. whittled it down to the, to the very essential who, who and what they are. And so we have this opportunity now that we're in this post pandemic kind of, kind of place. If you say it post pandemic, however we want to describe it is that we, that we get a fresh start. So we're not going to, we, we don't have to go back to what we were doing in, in 2019 or early 2020 that we can say, okay, this is who we are now as a church. And how do we go about being who we are? Cause what we used to be doing might not be working anymore. It, it might mm-hmm. not be relevant to what we are, or pay, perhaps we don't have the people that we used to do that used to do the food pantry that we did before that we're like, we've done a food pantry for 20 years, but now all the people that used to run it are no longer with us that, that they went to other churches or they just don't want to come out anymore or whatever it is. Now we can begin to re say, this is who we are as a, as a congregation. And kind of what I, what I wrote about in my book is kind of saying, saying, let's, let's look at this, that we have this overarching mission statement of who we are, but the people that God's called together might be vastly different than it was before. And what is passionate for this group of people? And how do we figure out our core values of who and what we are as this gathered, new gathered community saying, how do we live out this into the community? And this might not be what it was before because you might have a new group of people. Some people might be doing Zoom from across the country or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but how do we live out into this? So, and how do you deal with the fact that as you've said, when and, and lots of churches have dealt with this, I have myself. But when we start back up with in-person worship, there are lots of people who aren't there. Um, some people have moved on, um, may have, or, or have either just stopped going to church altogether, or have gone to another church. Um, and it seems like you have to deal almost with a, a season of grief about that loss. Um, I mean, it's also, I think, it is also, I think, an impetus of moving forward and doing some different things. But it also seems like you have to balance that with what what has, what's been before, that it's not coming back, and that you have to kind of feel, deal with that sense of of grief, of a loss of that. Yeah. As you imagine, most of us go into our churches these days, and it's not nearly, the people that are in worship is far and few between as opposed to before. Mm-hmm. And you could have been a 300 person worship and they're probably down to half attendance. If that, mm-hmm. I have a friend who's a, who's a pastor of a large church and he's like, people are just aren't coming out. They aren't coming out physically to church. They might still be watching it on zoom. He's like, mm-hmm. he's like, we got through the pandemic. Our finances were fine, but now we are in this after effect. Now, 
that people are wondering if they still want to be connected to this or do they need to find another church or, or whatever it is. And we're in this place of really trying to figure out. And it's one thing to say, this is where we are. This is where we, who we were. And mm-hmm. it's sad. We just need to lift that up to God and saying, we thank you for that chapter in our ministry, God. But now, God, you're doing something different. And I think, I think a lot, especially in the world that we live in, people are looking for hope, not even, not necessarily even hope in Jesus sometimes. You know what I mean? Like we come to mm-hmm. church and we have this hope in Jesus, but they're looking for not to come into church and, and they're saying, oh, there's a plan. There's an idea. There's this hope that this church can be effective into this community once again, as opposed to, well, we're just going to come and gather and look around and acknowledge people are missing and that's sad and we're not going to do anything about it. But people are hanging on to leaders that are willing to lead into new places. Of course, leading to new places, we'll always go to those places sometimes and we're like, oops, that was a bad road to go down to. Let's back it up. But saying, here's where God's calling us to be, not to merely sit in these in this pew, I th- but mm-hmm. to say, we want to be an active part of this community. And I believe that's what God calls us to. A lot of times we get that, that woe is me kind of mentality and, and kind of saying, look what's going on in, in the community. And that's sad, but we want to be in our four walls and deal with, deal with our different four walls. And, but how do we intercede into, and be God's word into the community? And how, what does that mean to walk through people that were on the edge of society financially and now that now pre-pandemic and now we're dealing with six dollars a gallon of gas here in california it's like they couldn't make it when it was at three or four dollars but now you're at six and mm-hmm. you've got just gone through a pandemic and everything how how do we walk with people that are going through that or the rise of social inequities that has happened really in the pandemic and ever and people saying well we were all in the same boat together i'm like no, we weren't all in the same boat. We were ri- all riding the same on the same ocean, but some of y'all were on a yacht, and some of us were in a dinghy, and some of us were simply treading water and hoping and hoping that we that we weren't being overwhelmed. But how do we walk mm-hmm. through some of these different things, and how do we, as the church, <laughs> kind of be in the middle of all of that? Hmm. So, how does the church? I think move people, especially if it was before, and I think also in some ways after, from a a consumerist mindset to one that's more disciple-focused. Because I think a lot of us do want to see that. And and I think, but I also think so much of the church, and I even think some of the structure beyond the church has always been feeding into how we have to be a certain way so that people will be interested in helping us to come um, to church. How do we change that around that that people aren't there feeling that they're coming to um, have their needs met, but to feel that they can, they are called to serve. I th- going, kind of going through what I talk about a lot, a lot is from Jeremiah 29, three through eight, mm-hmm. where it's really talking about that, that, hey, we need to plant gardens and settle down, really be invested in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the problem is, is that, is that mm-hmm. people, people aren't invested in their community. We look at ourselves and how do we take care of 
who's number one, and that's often ourselves, instead of saying, hey, how do we care for, how do I care for my neighbor? How do I care for my neighbor that's going through different things? Or how do I care about that home, the one that's homeless down the street or mentally challenged or all these different things? And then we, then kind of going on, it talks about how our shalom is connected to the shalom of the community that God's called us to. And I, 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 I find that incredibly fascinating and that the, the completeness, this whole idea of shalom that we get, this completeness, complete peace, that my sense of complete peace, peace in God is connected to how the shalom of the community that God's called me to. Am I willing mm-hmm. to step out into this community and be a part of the solution for the different things? that are, I, I know I can't solve all the problems that are out there, but how, how can I bring, help bring about peace? and prosperity of the community that God's called us to. And oftentimes that we drive in, we go, oh, God hasn't called me to this community. God's called me to the, to the hills instead of the valley. And how, but how do I say, God's called me to this church in this particular town at this particular time? How can I best serve to help create the shalom in this, in this community, into this town? How, how, how am I going to be a part of this? And it might say, Hey, I'm Sean. I can't solve all the problems, but say Sean and a couple of people from the church, we can make a difference. We one person can start to bring other people together, and we can make a difference to solve maybe one problem in the town. And that's and as we live out the gospel, as I think is the is the most important part. It isn't it isn't about saying discipleship, saying I'm going to sit in my small group and I'm going to be in that small group discipleship. I did five years with this small group and I am so much deeper. I can tell you things in Hebrew and Greek, but I haven't done anything about that. And to live, how do we live it all out? And I, which I think is incredibly important is how do we, is how do we live out what we do? And a lot of what I write about is how do we intercede in the community? What does the community, how do we be, the, be mm. God into be the hands and feet of God into the community instead of simply driving by it? But like, how do we, do we sit and we, do we pray for the community? Do we walk through the community and pray for it? Do we stop and care for the, and wave to the children that are on the swing sets or, or whatever it is, but how do we be a part of the community to really know and see, Hey, and pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours in this community. I want to know, I, I want to feel what the it's broken in this community so that I might I might step into it. And a part of it is a lot of times is that, is that pastors will say, we, we, we pray for the community. I go, well, what, when do you pray for the community? They're like, well, in staff meetings, we prayed for the community, the pastoral prayer during worship. But have we walked when I was a new church development pastor, mm-hmm. I would walk the five to six miles circle around the, our ministry area. I would say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours in this community. I stop and pray for over the schools. I stop and say, pray for the government, the police officers, the healthcare workers and everything and say, and saying, God, make me relevant in this community that it's not that I'm just putting lip service to this, but i truly want the, the peace and the prosperity of this community. And it's not simply, I'm, I'm saying, okay, I want the peace and prosperity of the city, but no God move within me so that me and the congregation that I serve or walk along with or people that I walk 
feel and how can we do something to solve some of these issues of alcoholism, um, children, children's neglect, gun violence, et cetera, et cetera, but to truly be a part of the solution. Where do you see, especially uh, mainline congregations um, moving after COVID? Um, And I bring that up in the context of, as you are well aware of, that probably the narrative that we're used to hearing a lot is, of course, decline. Um, And that was already happening before COVID. It's really sped up after COVID. But where do you see churches kind of moving? Where do you see see some green shoots happening of how churches are taking risks, um, being a little bit different, understanding, you know, maybe at the end of the ice age of how everything is different now? It's, it's interesting as the calls that I get. So I work for the national church mm-hmm. and so specialists in church planting and people are like, what are church plants really doing to kind of, to be flexible and to be audible in the midst of all this. And so we wrote resources of how do we revision and remission in a post pandemic age. And a lot of it is like, how do we know what one, how do we know our community? And two, two, what we kind of talked about is we don't look back. Looking back and saying, oh, well, it's okay to say this is where we were, but, but saying here's where we want to go and saying it's okay to experiment. It's okay that to do things, and if you fail, that, that's perfectly fine, but at least you tried something new. But also when you're saying we're going to do something new, it's not saying I'm doing – we're going to do something and this something we're going to be doing for the next hundred years, or kind of like we talked about earlier, because we're mm-hmm, going to do a hundred yeah. years and the next pastor and the next pastor are going to deal with it. But I'm saying, we're going to do this for six months. Then let's, let's evaluate if is one, is this effective? Is this meeting what we want to do? And then if, if we're meeting what God calls us to do, what can we do to help it be streamlined or better? And, and kind of doing some, really looking at that to really experiment and to understand that we're in this new place. And, saying we want to be exactly how we were in, in 2019 isn't realistic that we need to take into, into account of the people that have left the people that we've gained. There's incredible stories that I've, my friend, Chris, who's the pastor of a, of a church in New York city that they, they went, they went online and they started gathering all these different people. And then, and then about a year ago, they decided, okay, it's time to start meeting back in person every so often. We're going to start meeting in person. But people felt so inclined to be a part of his church that people drove from South Carolina to, on their days that they were meeting in, t- in person to come up to his church because they felt so connected that they were wow. a part of his church. They did those drives. So there's, inc- there's, there's connection that in Zoom where you're like, okay, I feel a part of this, whatever. And then there's really feeling connected because people right now, Sorry. (laughs) People right now are really feeling that need to be a part of something and being a part of something that is real and that is doing something. If we're just sitting there giving lip service saying sooner or later, we're going to do something. People are like, okay, great. But if we're saying, here's what we want to be and to live into, we're going to experiment. We're going to fail along the way. And that's perfectly fine. Cause oftentimes, you know, as a pastor and I know as a pastor is, we hate to fail that we, we, when we are saying we're going to try, we're going to do something, 
but we've planned it out so that we're like, we can't fail in this. We've really thought through it. We've done the strategic thinking of all of how to do it. But in this time saying, you know what? There's some things that are happening. Maybe we need to have the pulse of some of these different things and be willing to experiment and saying, well, that didn't go well as we as well as we wanted to. And that's perfectly fine. But at least we as a church try to do something in the community and let this not be the one time we do something in the next 10 years. But we're going to follow it up by trying saying we learned something from that and we want to do something else. And so there's so many stories of, of different people doing different things and experimenting and really living into who kind of who God calls us to. That another one is the way station just down the street here in Camarillo, California. I, I've sat in the back of their church because it was a cool, hip place on a Sunday evening to go to, to go to worship. It was an it was an art studio, so you're like, it's this. They had professional musicians. And I was like, this is awesome, professional musicians leading worship, and you're like, this is cool. But then the pandemic happened, and you couldn't meet in this artist studio anymore. And they found themselves in the park across the street. And they were often, they were like, well, why don't people meet us in the artist studio? We left the door open. There's a sandwich board inviting people in and we talked to people, but a lot of people never really came in. But now they're in, they're in this, um, there's this park across the street that you have, that you have low income families having barbecues in, that you have homeless kind of walking through. You have those that are mentally, have mental illness that are just one Sunday, someone was just screaming sentinies in the corner of the park. That all these different things, but now they feel that they're really getting the pulse of the community because instead of being isolated in a professional artist studio, they're where God calls them to be. And I was preaching there on Sunday night and I was staring, I'm like, I was staring across the park and there was this five-year-old kid just laying on the ground all by himself. I was like, should I call the police or something? Because he's all, I didn't see his parents anywhere. I was like, hey, what's the deal? And then come to come to find out that his parents were on the freeway all, within eyesight, but they were at the center median of the freeway on ramp selling flowers. But that was mm. the place for him to feel safe. They had an eye on him, but he's still a good distance away. But and so the pastor had a good the pastor had a good conversation with them. But they would have never come to this place where they getting the pulse of Camarillo, California, in that park where they meet the, the mentally challenged, those that are low income, those that need food and they help them out all the time, those that just need to be distant, but to, you can tell that they have an ear for what's going on in worship and what is being said in worship. That radical things like this are happening across the country and across the world as the church has was caused during the pandemic to really rethink who and what it is. And and some of it might have been by accident, like, like this, this church happened to be in the park and they didn't plan for all this to happen, but as a result of the pandemic caused them to worship outside, that they're in this whole new demographic, having this whole new mission of who and what they are, simply because this is where they ended up. And they don't intend to go back because now they realize that they were called to this place at this time to sit with those that are having mental illness or those that are just walking through the park or the families that are on the swing set or the, or the, those that are selling flowers on the on the on the median of the freeway or whatever it is that they, that God has called them to this place. And I think we, as us, as a church, as a whole need to recognize that God is calling us into these new places. And sometimes we feel like we're like begrudging, like, Oh, we're not the cool hip church anymore. 
that we're not in the artist studio with professional musicians, but God's called us to these new places, which is exciting that, mm-hmm. that they're seeking the shalom of the community that God's called them to in a far different, but also far more effective ways as they're open to the prodding of where God's led them. What role do you see for online ministry? Because obviously that's something that a lot of churches weren't doing um, until COVID hit. And so what role do you see for, I guess some people have now called it hybrid ministry that is both online but also in person um, that can in some ways stretch stretch people, um, especially people who may be watching hundreds of miles away to to be engaged and this is going to be interesting moving forward it's like in the presbyterian church we're 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 starting to talk like we have membership and all this stuff how does somebody that i'm in california Mm -hmm. that's in north dakota but they regularly give and everything like that but they've never stepped into your church and stuff like that how are what how do you categorize them as a member and there's these are incredible questions but they're far above my pay grade and stuff like that. <laughs> how, how to do that? But, but yeah, I go to. What was great about um, about the pandemic in many different ways is that I got to visit people that my friends are leading worship in Nashville, Tennessee, and in New York, and I you got to be able to be alongside with your friends and some of your colleagues and meet new intriguing places and experience worship in different places. But here we are where we're meeting in person and online. And I don't think it's, you can't take, say, okay, we're no longer doing online worship anymore. I don't think that's something that people can do, churches can do anymore. Even though early on in the pandemic, they're like, okay, this is just for a season that we're going to cut away and we're going to go back to church as normal. Because so many of the people that even regular attenders of a certain church now view it online. My mother-in-law loves watching her church online because she doesn't have to get dressed and get up and go up, go, go to the church and stuff like that. But, but there's, but there's different, but how do we do this? How do we balance? We understand that the church is not the building, but mm-hmm. it's also the relationships that are part of it. So I think what's going to be intriguing moving forward is, is how do, do we have pastors or do we have, or do we have leaders that are perfect that are designed to say we're going to create community with those that are that do it that do it online that you can't just say where you're going to view them on sun, you're going to view the worship on Sunday and they're just going to it's going to be a one way thing them watching us on worship doing worship and then click out and they're done but there's going to be have to be a way for the church to connect back to them and create mm-hmm. relationships with them so whether whether these are new positions I've started to see some of them start to rise like we need an online pastor, a pastor that knows how to how to gather people online and create relationships with different people. That it's a that's a non physical on campus. They're not trying to get them on campus, saying, "Hey, from down the street." My goal is to get you into the church, but realizing that these people aren't might not ever might not ever want to be meeting in person, but saying that there will always be. But how do we create community? And mm-hmm. an intentional community. And that's going to be the, the challenge moving forward is how do we create intentional community with people that like, oh, we're just peeking in. And then when we get bored, we can click to another church or click off. 
but how do we how do we with with such easy to move away and not and or or people that want to be anonymous in all this that's going to be a challenge for pastors and leaders to really engage online people as they're, as they're moving forward but it's here to stay and it's how do we start to deal with it how do we create small groups how do we just create discussion groups how do we create discipleship groups and how do we do some of these things to keep people to have people engaged as opposed to it being a one-way thing, it's a two-way, it becomes a two-way street. Yeah, I think it's something that I'm still trying to figure out. Um, and I think it's going to require some different strategies and even, I think, different content and what's going to be out there. But um, but yeah, it's I, I, we're not going back to not having it, but I think it's how is it going to be used and how can people how can we connect with people? So it's not just them watching something. Yeah, exactly. It's going to, it's going to have to figure out how to be a two way street. And then mainly because we become invested when we have a relationship with the leader or other people there, then you're like, I'm going to show up because I have a relationship with the other three boxes that are on the zoom screen. And I want to be with them as opposed to, Oh, I don't know them. I have no investment in this, so I'm not going to show up because they don't mean anything to me. And it's not like I want to be with Sam or whoever that is next in other boxes. But if it's like, oh, Sam's going to be there or Laura's going to be there or whatever, then I'm going to show up. It's going to be a priority in my life as opposed to, oh, hey, there's there's a football game on. I'd rather watch the football game than click into the small group. So if someone is um, maybe the pastor of a church or the lay leader of a congregation that is looking to try to do something new um, and they're trying to kind of figure out where they are and, and what they can do, um, what, how would they kind of connect with you? Which is obviously the way so, you say, talk about your website and the book and all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so my website is Rediscovering Vitality. Um, dot com. And so mm-hmm. they can connect with me through there. Um, the other place to really kind of connect to connect with me is Sean at rediscoveringvitality.com. And so I do a bunch of different workshops across the country. I do a lot of traveling. Um, I have a book that talks it's a little bit like what we talked about is how do we interact with the community, understanding that we're, this isn't a blizzard that we went through, but an ice age. And how do we mm-hmm. not be a relic of a time gone by? But how do we interact and how do and start? It's a lot of it's a workbook. And so how do we as as a church kind of really challenge ourselves and to be a part of the solution instead of being so inwardly focused to be outwardly focused? And so you can buy my book at cyclicalpublishing.com because if you go to Amazon, it's like twice the amount of twice the cost. So if you go wow. cyclicalpublishing.com slash rediscovering dash vitality slash. <laughs> yes. So, or you can just go to Cyclical Publishing, and my book is Rediscovering Vitality, and you can pick it up there for twenty bucks as opposed to the fifty that's on Amazon. Really? Wow. Yes. That's... And so, pick it up there. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I so. will definitely suggest that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm totally up for conversations if people just want to email me and have conversations about what's going on in the world, in their church world, I'm more than open to that as well. Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time um, to chat. And I, um, and thank you, because I think that this is a message that a lot of churches, a lot of communities are, are 
kind of dealing with and, and trying to figure out where to go next. And I think that this is a way of giving them a bit of hope. Yes, it is. Thank you for having me, Dennis. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. enjoyed the episode. Um, I think it was very enlightening and I hope that it, it was something that you will be able to learn a little bit more. There are some links um, in the show notes that I hope that you will uh, take advantage of, including Sean's website um, that I hope that you will consider using. Um, in the past, I have asked you to consider making a donation. And when you go to our ch- um, Church in Maine's website, which is at churchinmaine.org, And I just wanted to say uh, thank you to one person who is making kind of a sustaining donation. That's at a certain amount they are giving each month um, to support this podcast. So um, I do want to say to Joe, thank you for that. And also to those who haven't, um, please consider doing that. It helps to defray some of the costs of uh, putting this uh, content online and you can do so, again, by going to um, Church in Maine's website, churchinmaine.org, and look for the button that says Donate. And while you're there, you can also see videos, uh, obviously past episodes, um, and the like. And also, just one other thing, if you have, please consider leaving a, um, excuse me, a rating or review at our um on the podcast app of your choice that helps for people to find this um, podcast a lot easier. So that is it for this episode of church in Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Godspeed. And I'll see you soon.